Welcome to the Human Advisor Podcast. This series is brought to you by Altruist, a digital platform that helps remove the friction from managing money and enables financial advisors to do their best work. Find your human advisor, or if you're an advisor, learn how Altruist can help you serve your clients better at altruist.com slash podcast. In this episode of The Human Advisor, Steve Loxon joins me and talks about how staying true to yourself and trusting your voice can change the trajectory of your life. You don't want to miss his story. Tune in now. There's only one person you got to please in this world, and that's the person you look at in the mirror every day. I've been outspoken in the industry about what I believe in, about how advisors treat clients and fiduciary versus non-fiduciary and how to fee people and things of that nature. As soon as you can speak your truth, life becomes easier. I'm your host, Desarte Yarnway, joined here today with Steve Lockson. Steve, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Doing so well. It's so good to have you. I've been looking forward to this interview because I am a fan of the work that you've done. You have a footprint on our industry, and we're so happy to have you here uh, today with us. Thanks. I appreciate the compliments. We'll, we'll see how you feel after the interview. <laughs> so, Steve, I've done some research. You have had an illustrious career. But the one thing that I'm super interested in is your background. Take us back to the beginning, before advice period, before vanilla. Who was Steve Lockson back then? <laughs> uh, I was the guy that got cut from uh, baseball. Okay. Ended up playing <laughs> lacrosse because that's where the kids who got cut from baseball played and had no idea what I wanted to do. Dad was a doctor, or he's a, he just retired. Um, so I figured that's what I was gonna do and figured out I hate blood. So mm. that wasn't gonna go very well. Yeah. Uh, ended up meeting a guy who's now still one of the top guys at Morgan Stanley and interned for him and fell in love with the financial services business and kind of got into it that way. That's awesome. Did you have any exposure to, I guess, the financial services business or money? Because for me, some of those conversations I feel like I missed at the dinner table, right? Like we weren't necessarily talking about stock, the stock market. We weren't talking about 401k plans. Your dad being a doctor, he had to be super educated. Like, did you have any of those conversations growing up? Do you have any doctors as clients? Most of them don't know anything about money. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, we didn't talk about that. It was tennis, fishing, or medicine at the table. So we didn't talk about money. So I knew nothing about it when I went to intern for that guy. Yeah, it's interesting. My dad grew up in Liberia and he was a fisherman, right? And I remember going deep sea fishing with him and all the lessons that I learned about being patient because we wouldn't catch a lot of fish. And to do what you've done, you had to be patient in watching these companies mature, right? Watching the growth process. Talk to us about your first company, Fortigen. How was well, created? Well, Fortigen actually wasn't our first, my first company was, uh, CMS Financial Services. So I, I started out working for a guy in the insurance business right out of college uh, after I'd interned at Leg Mason, which ultimately became Morgan Stanley. And learned from that guy, A, how to work hard. We were up at six o'clock in the morning at the office for meetings. He was tenacious. And his mentality was anybody could sell an insurance policy. Learning the taxes around how to fund it was what made you different. So we were very focused on tax. One of my clients had started a bunch of public companies and said, hey, I need help organizing all this stuff. And I've got stuff at this brokerage firm and that brokerage firm uh, and wanted to know how we could make his life simpler. So I started what is effectively a family office for that family. Mm. And that's how I got in the business. And I went to my mentor who I interned with and 
he ultimately said, well, this is how you ought to do it. Manage the managers, report, et cetera. And that was 1989. 1989. Yeah. And so from there, the business was ultimately launched and Foraging came after that. That's incredible. 1989 is much different than 2021. (laughs) It makes me me old. (laughs) What were the differences between the business then and now? Because I think it's completely different. I was watching a documentary yesterday, actually, on Wall Street back then and how it was all about sales, how it was like a luxurious lifestyle. And it was completely different than the human advice that we're trying to push here in altruists and that, you know, I'm trying to even do in my own practice. What was it like back then? Watch Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, those those guys were guys I went to college with mm. that ultimately ended up working at, at that firm. So, and while that was one aspect of the business back then, it was, how old are you? Oh, you're 30? Well, you should be 70% in U.S. stocks that I'll manage and 30% yeah. in U.S. bonds. And that's how most brokers handled stuff. And when we started, the mentality was, well, let's diversify globally because no one's doing that. And let's use indices because people aren't really doing that. And let's compare the things so that we have reporting and be disciplined about our asset allocation. So we started introducing math. And that was all from another mentor of mine who had been doing it for institutions. And that's how we started the family office. So we were very, very different then. Everyone I ran into had U.S. stocks and bonds in their portfolio. You mentioned mentors a couple of times, right? And for me, I just feel like there wasn't enough mentors, right? I had to kind of seek them out. How important were these mentors to your development? Because I think that's extremely important. It's something I value. But like, talk to us about the process of watching somebody do something well and getting the opportunity to do it better. Because I feel like you learn from their mistakes as well as all the things that they do well as well. Yeah, well, first of all, you mentioned seeking out a mentor, and that's exactly what it was. I I got a chance to meet these folks, and I went back and asked them for help. So today, if someone comes to me, I want to help because I want to pay it forward the yeah. way it was done for me. But it was really about going and finding the right people. And since I'm a little older than you are. Just a little bit. Uh, yeah, almost twice your age. <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes. And so those are things I can pass on to the folks that I meet today. And that's what I got from these people. So, you know, key people in my life, that that insurance guy, Alan Meltzer, who was just one of the top insurance guys and really learned about hard work. And Marvin McIntyre, who's the guy I mentioned, Morgan Stanley, who possibly the best sales guy I've ever seen and really taught me a lot about how to work with clients. And, you know, it's more about the emotion than it is about the finance and math first, emotion second, things of that nature. Uh, This guy, Bob Levy, who's now the chairman of Cato, who had a company called CDA Investment Technologies, which served institutions. He's the one who taught me about asset allocation and manager selection and reporting and gave me the software for free to help me launch this business. And I hate running. Absolutely hate running. I would go running with Bob five days a week just so I could listen to him. And he loved teaching me. So five hours a week, I got free lessons just by running with him. You literally went the distance. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) So so how do you, how do you, so for the person that wants a mentorship, right? We have a lot of advisors that are trying to figure out their way in this industry. And to me, the best way is to, to get under somebody's wing. How did you ask? You you said you went running, but what advice do you have for that advisor who's essentially trying to learn as much as they can to be the best that they can be in the industry? I think you have to find the right person. There has to be a connection where they want to help you. And you have to figure out the balance between not being annoying, being helpful and, and soaking up information. So 
when I met McIntyre, mm-hmm. it was through my girlfriend. In fact, I used to give a speech called Prenuptial Prospecting, how I met so many people from girls that I had dated. And my girlfriend's father was his doubles partner in tennis. And so I met him at the beach. And one day I called him up and I said, Mr. McIntyre, um, I don't know if you take any summer interns. I don't know anything about money except how to spend it, but I'm wondering if I could come work for you this summer. He said, well, we don't, we don't hire anyone who hasn't graduated college and we don't really take summer interns, but you can come work for me for free if you want. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, when do I start? Yeah. And I just went and for the first couple of weeks, did all the crap work they gave me. And after a few weeks, I said, I don't mind doing crap work all day, but I really prefer half a day of crap work and half a day of learning. There you go. And so from there, we developed a relationship and we're still super close. Talk about that. I feel like in this age of instant gratification, in this age which you can get a text message and it hits your phone or somebody calls you, you expect them to call you right back if they didn't pick up. Everything happens so fast. In fact, with the latest stock market, right, people pick one stock and if it doesn't go to the moon immediately, they're ready to cause a fit. You did something that is old school. You worked for free, but you also understood the value of that small sacrifice and what you would get from the person that you were interning with. Can you talk about that and, and any other stories of sacrifice that has helped you get to this point? I never thought of it as sacrifice because to me, it was an opportunity to learn mm-hmm. and, and that was time well invested. Um, so I didn't need to make money when I was 20 years old. Yeah. Uh, I worked at night and paid my bills that way and during the day went and learned. So nothing along the way has seemed like a sacrifice. It's just seemed like a journey. It's been a lot of fun. There was there was no destination except to try and get better every day. And and that sounds easy looking backwards at the time. You know, a lot of it was stressful. Yeah, I share that same sentiment. When I started my business, I felt like this is hard. Right. And I look back like that's the most fun that I never want to have again. Right. Like, exactly. <laughs> it was fun. Like, it's the most fun I never want to have again. And I'm grateful for the time that or those sacrifices, quote unquote, that happened. I wanted to tap into you and just toot your horn for a minute. You were rated the number one financial advisor in the country by Barron's. Why financial advice? What attracted you to the industry and made you kind of this ambitious to start all of these companies along the way? Well, what attracted me was working for that guy that summer and finding out that I really enjoyed the stuff. I had an affinity for it. And so you want to do things that are easy. I was an English major in college, not yeah. because I loved English. It was just easier for me to write papers as opposed to science. So that summer, I found that, hey, I, I can do this stuff. This, this comes naturally to me. Uh, and then dealing with people was easy, fun. I like to joke around. People yeah. like folks who can make them laugh. So that made that easy. The business part is just my old partner says, I don't make a good pet. Yeah. So I didn't really want to work for people. And other than when I was kind of working for the guy in the insurance business and then quickly was running my own book, I've never really worked for anyone at all. Mm-hmm. The few times that we sold and I've gone to work at a larger company, I make it for a while and then, you know, get out of the fence, if you will, yeah. get out, run out of the yard like a dog. Yeah, yeah. You in our kind of pre-show, we were talking before we started recording and you said something that stood out to me when I asked about advice pay or advice period, which we'll get to soon. You said that independence is awesome. Right. And you just mentioned that you've always worked for yourself. Talk to us about the power of independence, because I think that one of our missions here at Altruist is really empowering the independent advisor to do their best work. Right. So 
talk to us about that power. What's so special about having an independent practice or owning a company? I'll give you two sides of the coin. The, fir the first side is when I started with that first family, we started taking on clients. All of a sudden I had a budget and I had employees and you take on any client when you have no revenue. Mm -hmm. And so that started to, you know, define who we were as a company and what kind of clients we had. And sometimes I had clients that I didn't want to work with. What I was referencing earlier was the fact that when I started Vice Period, I was in a much more fortunate position economically. And I could say, these are the people we're taking on. These are the kind of employees we want. This is the kind of culture. And you get to build something that you believe in. And it's a lot yeah. more fun going to work when you're doing what you love. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I feel like it started out for me and a lot of the advisors that I'm closely connected with, right, as every day was a challenge to build this thing. Right. So we would celebrate the small victories. Waking up in the morning, you put your shoes on, you go to the coffee shop and do it. That was a win because you you had the intention of being your best self. I want to ask you about your challenges, right? Because although independence is it, it has huge rewards, there's huge risk and there has to be huge challenges. What were some of those challenges for you? Well, you have to be a little crazy to start your own business, right? Since seventy percent of businesses fail, you have to believe you're in the 30% always. And nobody really gives it a second guess when they are committed to their business. Yeah. Um, but I remember way back when, when I didn't have money to make payroll or I wasn't taking pay. The first three years of advice period, I didn't take any pay out of the company. Mm -hmm. But challenges are always when, at least for me, when I've had to feel like I was carrying, I shouldn't say I had to, when I felt like I was carrying the burden of the company. Whether it was real or perceived didn't matter because perception's everything, but yeah. I felt like, man, if I don't bring in more revenue, then how are we gonna hire these people? Or if we already hire the people, how am I gonna pay for it? Or what if we wanna do this? And what if the next client wants you to do something you don't believe in? Or we have a no asshole rule. How do you fire that client? Yeah. So there's always challenges. Biggest challenge is keeping weight off, but yeah. that doesn't apply to this. Um, <laughs> you know, the challenges are part of the fun, yeah. right? Because when you overcome them, you feel great. That's amazing. You talk about this so seamlessly and easy, and I'm like, I feel your pain. So one of my problems, right, and I feel like the problem for a lot of advisors starting is trying to, trying to navigate this space, trying to make sure that they're not taking all this pressure and they are suffering from a, an analysis by paralysis type of situation. Like, what do you do to keep that weight off, to stay focused, to stay in the fight? Did you do anything special or did you just go to work every day and do your best work? I mean, I'd like to tell you there was some secret formula, but there's not. You you go and you do what thinks what you think makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. The the stuff that probably and my mom was always happy that when she hears me say this is the stuff that kind of was a, a beacon was she always said there's only one person you got to please in this world and that's the person you look at in the mirror every day and so being true to what you believe in and and I've been outspoken in the industry about what I believe in about how advisors treat clients and fiduciary versus non fiduciary and how to fee people and things of that nature. As soon as you can speak your truth, life be and that's in relationships, business. Agreed. Life becomes easier, and so that's the stuff that I think I really hung on to and made a big difference for me. When did you start doing that, though? Because I feel like it takes a while for an individual, right, to find that voice and to be confident in that voice, right? Like, when did that happen for you? 
I, I had a couple of epiphanies, if you will. Okay. Um, one was when I was in the insurance business and I used to go, I was petrified going to client meetings because I would go after elephants. Yeah. And I was always afraid I'd screw something up at the meeting. Mm -hmm. And then literally one, almost like you'd see in a movie where I had an epiphany one where I woke up, I'm like, I know more than they do. And if I don't know the answer to something, all I have to say is, I don't know, but I'll get the answer for you. Mm -hmm. And it instilled confidence in that prospect or client. And all of a sudden things started to take off. Yeah. It happened again as we built the business and learned to have conviction about doing things differently. And then it happened even further, let's say when I started advice period and my mentality was, this is what I believe. I'm going to say it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work because there's somebody it will work with mm -hmm. who believes what I believe. And those are the kind of people I want to surround myself with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Advice period. You talked about that. What did you believe in and why did that lead you to starting advice period? So, as I mentioned, when I started CMS, which was the first company, um, and then we sold and it became Lydian. So, it was the same company, slightly different owner. Okay. We were doing the same thing. So, A, I had some of those clients that I probably wouldn't have brought on had I had the option. Yep. And then the other thing was we had purchased a couple companies and they believed certain things about investments that I had started changing my beliefs on. So, when we sold the company to City National Bank in 2007, of the 15 billion we had, five of it was in alternatives. And post 08, I didn't really believe in alternatives as much. In fact, even the way we set them up, I didn't fully believe in, but the team did and I wanted to support the team. When I started Vice Period, I, I said, we don't need to overcomplicate it. Passive works great. Tax loss harvesting makes sense. It's all math. Mm -hmm. uh, why pay? A high premium for a low probability about performing with active when we could pay a low premium with a high probability of performing with tax loss harvesting. I believe that estate planning made a huge difference for the clients with taxable estates, and that's what I wanted to go for. And I think I said to you earlier, I wanted to dress a certain way. I just wanted to be me. I wanted to say what I believed, find people that were attracted to the things that, that worked, and have a business that reflected what we believed in. And so, that was kind of a major, major change to be able to do that. I love how you just change your mind, right? And I think that people should be given the space to evolve, right? And I think that's kind of what you did through your financial advising career to say like, hey, I thought this was the way at one point, right? And now I don't think that's the way anymore. And I think that there's a better way. I really admire that. Thanks. I, I'll tell you, I, I meet so many advisors that believe that, believe what I believe, but have said, for the last 20 years I've been selling, I can get you a better asset allocation or I can find you a better manager. I can't tell them now. I don't believe it. And I'm like, why not? I did. I went to I, a lot of those clients, the same clients I had before. And I said, you know what? I change religions. Yeah. And they're like, if you change religions, I'm changing religions too. <laughs> and that's it because they, they have handed over that responsibility to the advisor mm -hmm. for making those decisions and they believe in you. So you, you, the advisor need to believe in you. If you, the client already decided they believe in you. Yeah. So how has that idea of advice period, how has it aged since its inception? More services. I used to say I would never pay people's bills because I didn't want to get fired because we didn't turn the, pay the electric bill at the lake house. Yeah. A couple of years ago, we started a bill pay and bookkeeping business because we couldn't get good data on what people spent. Yeah. So services have expanded. The fundamentals though are the same, which is taxes matter, control what you can control, like fees and taxes, and 
capitalism works, right? Stocks will be bonds and bonds will be cash long-term. And then it's math first, emotion second, and just keep clients where they're supposed to be. And as long as you can buffer them when they want to get too aggressive or too conservative, depending on their math needs, and then help them understand their emotional needs, you're doing your job. You're doing a good job at it if you're doing, if you're doing that. We find a way to complicate everything. Yeah. Control what you can control. I feel like that's such simple advice, but it's so hard for people to do. Why? Buffett said in his uh, letter, I'll probably say three, four years ago, his annual letter, he said, people ask me for advice all the time. And I give everybody the same advice. Buy some a cheap index like the S&P 500 and have some money in treasuries. Yeah. Inevitably, the people who don't have a lot of money follow my advice and they do great. The people who have a lot of money think they're entitled to something special and they go look for complicated and expensive investments. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they underperform those who keep it less complicated. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge we see all the time is people think they need something complicated because they have more money or the person selling thinks they have to have something complicated. We as an industry say, um, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of numbers at you. I'm going to say them with a lot of conviction. I'm going to wait until your eyes glaze over. Then I'm going to ask you to sign the paperwork and I'm going to get the hell out of there. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with our industry, whereas simple works. And so my typical pitch to someone who has a liquidity event is, I'm going to tell you how to do all this yourself. I'll tell you why you may not want to, but if you want to, I'll point you in the direction of how, how to do it. If you decide you don't want to, then you've opted in to what we do. And that builds a very different bond. It's not, am I getting my money's worth? It's I've decided yeah. I need this and I'm going to pay for it. Yeah, that pitch even, I wouldn't call it a pitch. It's a human-centered way of communicating with somebody. Why is that so important between the exchange advisor and a, and a client? I feel like the more human we get, the more people gravitate to what we're trying to do for them. When did you learn how to be yourself, essentially, in your business? Well, part of it came from those epiphanies, if you will. Part yeah. of it comes with getting older and not caring as much, right? When you need to make the sale, mm-hmm. I always say a desperate salesman never makes a sale. So right. the more you need to make the sale, the harder it is to connect because you're busy focusing on how do I make the sale, unless you've kind of overcome that. I found when I got to the point where I I didn't care, Mm -hmm. and I didn't mean I didn't care, I do care, but I was indifferent. If they fit, great. If they didn't fit, great. I don't want them either. It made it easier. And then once you see that you're connecting with people and that works, then it's easier to let your guard down and just be you. So back to speaking your truth. I've been married almost 30 years. I probably wasn't until 20 years that I really learned it's a lot easier to just say exactly what's on your mind than try and manage the, the discussion. And I'd say our relationship went from an eight to a 10 as soon as we started communicating in a different way. And there's no different at work. It's amazing how many relationship parallels or, or things transfer over into this advice business, right? I think what I get from that is that if you start with your truth, right, you'll always act out of the right like intention. You know, and I always want to be myself and not fool anybody. I don't want to be a salesman. I just want to be the person that can help you. Right. And if you gravitate to me, I'm certain that we'll be able to do so. I have a couple more questions for you. Vanilla startup that I love. Simple interface. Talk to us about why you started that. Passion project. I mentioned taxes and that I thought that was the big lever in a client relationship. So there wasn't really good tax 
or I should say estate planning, tax-related software. Mm -hmm. And when I started selling clients or explaining to clients that the real value was in estate planning, and if you move 50 million out of someone's estate into another account, when they get their balance sheet, still showed the whole thing. So they're like, well, what have you done for me lately? Mm -hmm. So we created a balance sheet to explain to people the impact of the tax and estate planning we had done. And as we refined that, I said, I want to put that online. So I hired some developers to put it online. And once I showed it to some other friends in the industry, they're like, I need that. Where do I get that? And so that became kind of the product. I'd been talking for a while to some large institutions. Vanguard had me in once to speak about kind of where technology was going in the next five years. And I kind of gave the pitch to them or the speech to them that became the foundation for Vanilla. Just like the book I wrote on how to choose an advisor became the foundation for Advice Period. It was my manifesto on how I think the business should be run. And so then I went and did it. Well, what I pitched Vanguard on is exactly what Vanilla has kind of become. Mm -hmm. And I'm having more fun doing that than just about anything I've ever done. Is there anything you can't do? There's lots. I can't, <laughs> I can't dunk. I don't even think I can touch the rim. Um, <laughs> Sure. It's, it's, you got to know your limitations. Right. You got to know your strengths and weaknesses, right? Yeah. But you can find people who can do it. Right. And I think that's key when building a firm and the many businesses like you have, right? I saw that you invest in other companies, mm -hmm. right? So how did you get introduced to venture capital? I'm very interested in it. And I think it's a way to kind of help my friends almost as they start their businesses. Talk to us a little bit about that. Mine was a little more selfish than that. As I mentioned, I don't make a good pet. So in 2010, 11, I kind of wanted to get out of the big bank that owned us. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to violate my agreement. So I started to look for something that was away from our regular business. And I heard about Betterment and I'd kind of been keeping track of them. So I flew to New York and I went and met with those folks and decided after maybe one meeting, I'm going to invest. And I wrote a bigger check than I had ever written before for, for any investment because I believed that it was a hedge. Either they were going to disrupt our industry, in which case I wanted to invest in it, or they weren't. And it was a tool that we'd be able to use, I think, to automate some of the industry. Yeah. And so I invested in them. Well, from them, I met the Quovo folks. And from them, I met the advisor folks. And, you know, I got to know more people in the industry. And then as I saw opportunities, I invested. But being early is way better than being smart. Yo, really? Uh, yeah. It so. is. I have a question about that. So I think that it's cool now that a lot of my friends have the opportunity to be quote unquote venture capitalists, right? But they're in very unique positions, right? How do we get more people to kind of have that seat at the table to have these opportunities, right? I think that you know, one of the laws just changed on what an accredited investor is. So obviously financial advisors now can participate in some of these more private in investments. But how do we get more people engaged in some of these opportunities that are arising throughout fintech for sure and other industries? Well, the, you've got, you know, lots of different platforms to be able to invest. Um, I, first and foremost, it has to fit. Yeah. Most people don't even have an emergency fund and uh, savings. So before they start doing venture, make sure they've covered the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. But if they decide they want to get in, in venture, and I'm, I'm a walking contradiction, I have way more in private equity and venture than I'd ever recommend a client invest. But it's sport for me. Like I, yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm on, I'm on the board of some of the companies, which ends up getting more equity than I probably should have in an individual company. But 
I think using things like EquitySend or, you know, other crowdsource solutions are great ways to invest in those. You can go buy secondaries. If you want to do venture, it's getting connected with the right people and getting yeah. opportunities. And the hot stuff is usually very difficult to get into. Yeah. So you got to either have good eyes early when nobody wants to invest in them or know somebody so you can get in when you do when everybody wants to invest in them. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, this is one of the questions that I've been waiting for. I feel like a lot of advisors that watch this show are either starting their businesses, scaling, or just trying to sustain the success that they've had over however many years they've been running it. For the advisor that's watching right now, right, what advice would you give them in terms of building a successful practice? It's, pr- it's probably what I said earlier. You get, speak your truth, enjoy the journey. I mean, I don't mean sound like I'm, you know, woohoo guru, but all the things you hear are are true. There's a reason they're cliche, if you will, is this is about being in a business where you get to help other people. And I actually think we're the most overpaid business on the planet for what we really do. You know, a lot of it is just transferring trust. Um, and if you follow the rules and do a good job, it's easy for you and easy for the client. You don't have to screw stuff up. So stay true to yourself and then enjoy the ride. It's a blast. That's awesome. Steve, I had fun uh, listening to you talk about your experiences. Thank you so much for joining us here Thanks. on The Human Advisor. For everybody watching that might want to follow up with you and just watch your trajectory. And the next thing that they that you do, how can they follow up and how can they keep track? Uh, I guess uh, most stuff's on our website, adviceperiod.com. Justvanilla.com is actually where the, some of the real exciting stuff's happening, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And then I'm on Twitter a little bit, so. Well, thanks again, Steve. And thank you for listening to another episode of The Human Advisor. If you want to follow up with Altruist and everything that we're doing, be sure to subscribe at altruist.com. Follow us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm your host, Desarte Yarnway. Until next time, we appreciate you. This was another episode of The Human Advisor podcast. Visit thehumanadvisor.com for new episodes and be sure to check out altruist.com to learn more about how Altruist is changing the face of finance. No commissions, no biases, digital everything, the way it should be.